We'd like to welcome all of our students back and also our Foundational Faith um, podcast family. And this is Class 3, Part 3 of the study of the book of Daniel. Now, in our last setting of our course, we uh, saw the completion of that of the annihilation of the Babylonian uh, Empire and Belshazzar uh, perishing that night and dying. And of course, we know that um, there would have been uh, Darius that would have became the king. And of course, his son would have been the conqueror, uh, Cyrus. And there's a lot of different events that have taken place through the book of Daniel that we can even uh, begin to see how that even with chapter 6, which has 28 verses in the book of Daniel, how that uh, there's things in the past that still stand out. Uh, we must remember, even though the empire or the uh, empire of the silver from the image and what Nebuchadnezzar had seen, now we understand the shoulder and the breast, these two empires that come together uh, to become the next great world leader, which was the Medo-Persian. And so uh, we see that Darius, even uh, as the sixth chapter begins to open and the closing of the fifth chapter, and I'm going to read that, uh, it says in verse 31 of the fifth chapter, And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. So Darius, upon beginning his reign, was about 62 years of age. Now, what's understood to be accepted is that his reign probably lasted about two years. And then the conqueror, which would have been his son, Cyrus, came on the scene and became the last king that Daniel would serve under before he passed away and died. Now, Daniel, at the turn of all these events that's taking place in chapter 6, uh, or, or chapter 5, chapter 6, uh, Daniel has to be somewhere about 80 years of age at this time. And if you recall, Daniel lived to be about uh, 90, at least 90 years old. Now, there, as I stated earlier, there's a lot of different events that have taken place in the book of Daniel. And even here is one of the greatest events that most people know about the book of Daniel. And most of us, if we've been in, uh, in Sunday school or children's church, even growing up, we would have known about the event of that of Daniel in the den of lions. Now, um, I want to make a little bit of an argument here, and I want to rehearse something I've said before. Even in our textbook on page 149, it reads like this several times, at least about uh, four times, if I haven't missed anything in those uh, in that first section where it talks about let's get started. And it uses the word story. For example, in the first uh, sentence, now we come to the best known chapter in Daniel. In fact, and the book, our text says story of Daniel in the lion's den. And 
the story in chapter 3 about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are two of the most popular children stories in the entire Bible. And then if you go on down, um, you'll find where it says about midway of this section, we can learn a great deal from these stories about God's sustaining grace. Now, I want to emphasize something that I have said several times in class, and I, I think it's worth repeating. We as believers and Bible students, we need to begin to change our terminology. I understand the thought of a story. The story is how it's told. The event is giving the credence of this being an actual, factual uh, incident that takes place or the things that are taking place. So let's be careful not to call the Bible a book of stories. I understand Jesus told parables, but they were even based upon events that could be true. I didn't say all the parables were true events, but they are based on true actual events that can and does happen. Um, with that being said, we again emphasize that of all the chapters of, of the book of Daniel, most people are familiar with what takes place there and probably with uh, the three uh, Jewish uh, boys or young men um, that we know experienced the fiery furnace. Now, with that being said, um, let's acknowledge what's beginning to take place because actually in the sixth chapter, there's about uh, four things that I'd like to, to bring out is how, first of all, between the 31st verse of the fifth chapter and the first chapter, excuse me, the first verse of the sixth chapter, we find this transitioning that's taking place even in the night. And then, of course, some time as uh, Darius is setting up his uh, government um, with even the greatness of the territorial geographically of the Mede and Persian um, world government now. Now, what I want us to understand is that Darius, he had decided that um, uh, he was going to set up some governors or like princes or prince that would assist uh, with the kingdom by dividing it into um, that of at least 120 um, providences in some aspect here as we think about this. And so he was looking at people that would be like a governor uh, over those areas. And then in verse number 22, excuse me, in uh, verse number two, um, I don't know where I got 22 at, but verse two, um, even amongst the fact that he was going to establish his, his, his government upon 120 uh, different uh, ones that were called prince or like a governor, um, then he was going to have three main persons that would be presidents. And of those three, he had even considered, because of the, what he's heard about Daniel, uh, we see that he was even considering Daniel to be 
in the first place of those three being number one, which means that Daniel would have been under uh, Darius the king. Now, what I find interesting with this transition is how that Daniel knew that the promotion that was being given to him because of reading the writing on the wall, he was going to be given the third position in the kingdom, which meant nothing because actually the kingdom was coming down of that of Babylonian, of that night or Babylon. And so what I want you to see is how God, even in the midst of being a captive, God gives him a greater promotion than what he would have got under that of Belshazzar, the third position. Now Daniel is being pr uh, promoted uh, first as president and uh, of three, but in second of that of the very king. So we can see where God exalts and God sets down. We see where God set Belshazzar down, and we see that Darius and the kingdom of Cyrus is going to be established, or the Mede uh, Persian. And I want to emphasize this that we've stated before. In the plan of God and God's working with his people, the house of Israel in a 70-year bondage that even Daniel deals with and, and Jeremiah deals with and other writers, uh, we see that God orchestrates these two kings for the purpose in history for the timing of the beginning of setting things in order for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. And we'll leave it at that, but we even get, you know, a, a little time out, uh, another 150 years uh, where some of this is taking place, possibly even into the 400 uh, BC, at least another 100 years or less. Uh, may have overcalculated there a little bit. Um, and we find Nehemiah going back. We find Ezra with the law, those kind of things going back and building the walls. And then, of course, eventually the reinstating and, and uh, rebuilding of the temple. So keep these things in mind because they, they, they build in the uh, progress or the procession of history. So with that being said, let's move along. But there's, there's uh, a couple things that are on my mind that I, I let slip just a moment ago. With what's going on with the transition in the government, of the Mede Persians and Darius setting up his government. Now, what we must understand that there were those that were transitioning into his government, definitely that possibly were some of these Jewish uh, captives. And of course, we definitely see that with uh, Daniel. And we, we don't know for sure, but, but uh, possibly uh, some of the people that have even served in the Babylonian because of their abilities, their talents, their, their education. Um, and then, of course, we have the royal, uh, we have the royal uh, family where Darius would have been using people in his family. Um, and, and why I'm saying that is what I want you to comprehend is why in the discourse <coughs> excuse me, of the sixth chapter, we find where actually there's nothing but a spirit of undermining and jealousy that takes place with Daniel. And, of course, we know where that leads with the deception of the decree that the king makes about uh, praying 
and then Daniel ending up in the den of lions. Now, that's another argument that I want to make. Daniel did not go to a lion's den only. He went to a den that had active present lions. So keep that in mind. That's another aspect of the event being correct as the story is told. Okay, with that being said, <laughs> um, let's remember that the fact that these changes have taken place and we're looking at our syllabus. If you have the syllabus or if you're listening just to, to, to the lessons uh, as part of our podcast family and you're not a part of Destiny Bible College and I should have already said something and I'm going to insert, insert this as you're looking at your syllabus on page 33, <laughs> excuse me, in our textbook on page 149. Uh, if you're interested in Destiny Bible College, we'd love you to, to contact us uh, personally and we will get you where you need to go. Uh, it is a full accredited Bible college and uh, I think you would be pleased with finding more about this. And this is some of the studies that goes on with Destiny Bible College. I'm not the only instructor. Okay, let me get away from the advertisement, uh, and let's go back to where we were going. On page 33 in our syllabus, let's answer some of the things that need to be answered um, or, or cover them so that you can make sure that you uh, are finding these in your textbook and, and already, hopefully, in your reading and studying. All right, number one is numerous changes in Babylon have occurred at this point in Scripture. Now, that can be found on page 149, and we technically already began to talk about that as we have previously uh, brought up. Um, under A of number one, the head of gold, which would have been Babylon, and that's what needs to be your answer there, that the first Gentile world kingdom is gone. Now, with that being said, we understand what takes place between verse 31 of the fifth chapter and the first chapter I mean, excuse me, the first verse of the sixth chapter of Daniel. But I do want to insert something here. The influence of Babylon is not totally over with. We see it in the book of Revelation. We see even in our world right now, uh, we see uh, the effects of what the Babylon Empire has had on the world and still does. Now, Actually, I'm going to insert this. We can go back and see even before a Babylon was established, uh, became the great world leader, even the influence in the very early stages of the first generations uh, coming into the earth, uh, we find uh, Nimrod that was uh, part of that by the 10th or 11th chapter of the book of Genesis, uh, building and establishing uh, Babel. Uh, and then even the Tower of Babel. So we wanted to make that reference, but let's move on. All right, B, under one, the head of silver. So we understand with this image that Nebuchadnezzar had seen and Daniel had interpreted and gave him the understanding. Uh, the silver uh, is that of the Mede-Persian. And remember, it was a two-part of the body where the gold was the head, but we see now we're down to the chest and the arms. So we see how that there is the reference of the Mede-Persian, two empires coming together. All right. 
C would be Darius is now the king of uh, Medo-Persia. With that being said, let's move on and let's look at um, number two in our uh, syllabus. Darius begins to set up his government, and we can see uh, some uh, some things about that in reference in our reading on pages 149 and page 150 of our textbook. Now, as I stated earlier, the uh, king, as he's establishing his uh, government, and it, it uh, has now grown with that of what Babylon was, we see that he divides it up to 120 divisions or provinces. So your answer there for A should be under number two, 120. And as we look further, appointment of political leaders came next with one appointee of each division or providence. So we, we understand that um, B would be divisions or providence or divisions slice providence. And he would have set up 120 different uh, rulers. These rulers were called uh, satraps. And uh, so uh, they would have been those that would have been principal or excuse me, or prince or people of authority. We could also say they were like governors. Um, and, and the word prince is used there, and some of these could have been from the royal family, and they would have been uh, they would have been over different areas of the whole empire. Uh, I want to relate it kind of like this: if you take the United States, uh, we have 48 uh, continental um, states, or that's within. The, the, the boundaries or the, the borders of the United States. Then we have our two others, uh, states, Alaska and Hawaii, and each one of those states have a governor. So that's what we're looking at is how the leadership would have been divided up and they would have been prince or people of authority. So we can understand the concept of maybe governors or even people in the royal family. <coughs> now, Excuse me. He goes further, and this is bringing us to point C. Each providence was further divided into three groups, and it's believed that each one of the groups would have had at least 40, um, 40 groups, and each one of them, these administrators or these prints or these governors that would have been, um, been over them, and we understand even... Um, with these three that were uh, uh, appointed by Darius that would have at least had 40 of these 120, uh, they would have been like administrator and even the title president. And then uh, we can see point one under C. The job was to protect the interest of the king and report back to the governors. So this was kind of like a liaison job in some aspect. Um, these uh, three uh, in leadership of administration, like Daniel and the other two, they would have been liaisoning uh, communications between the king, 
uh, Darius and these 120 um, governors or prince. And of course, each one of these president, it's believed, would have had at least 40 of these providences, and that would give you the 120 if you do the math. All right, let's look on to number two under C of number two. It says, they most likely looked for problems with corruption, um, and then, of course, disloyalty, theft, and poor administration. So that's one of the ways that these three administrators or presidents would have been serving the king was to make sure that uh, these uh, satraps uh, or these 120 different governors or prince were uh, not only governing, uh, but they also were... Um, they were honest, uh, they were being loyal to the king, there wasn't theft, there wasn't uh, overall poor administration. When we move on, uh, we see uh, some of our information would come from page 150 in our textbook. Um, we understand that uh, number three, Daniel was a man of great experience in government. Now, his qualifications are just uh, astounding. And that's why we can look at verse number 3 of Daniel 6, and it says, this, Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and uh, satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Now, that's where we get the concept of him being second in command, and he would have been even uh, recognized as the first president. Um, one of the things that I think that's greatly important here is Daniel uh, was qualified, he was experienced, he had served under uh, Nebuchadnezzar. We don't know what influence he might have had uh, those seven years when Nebuchadnezzar was not on the throne. Uh, we may not know exactly uh, what uh, would have taken place um, with even what uh, could have been other than the night with Belshazzar. We know Daniel was called in, and it seems as if from what we can understand historically that Daniel may not have been uh, operating in some of the capacity that he had operated prior uh, under the reign of Belshazzar. Um, even the queen mother, if you remember, she had to uh, remind Belshazzar and bring him in uh, to the king that night when the writing on the wall was. But one of the things that I think that's great important about Daniel's qualification, uh, not that he only served under all these other kings, but he was approved of God and not only King Darius, but he had been spoken of by the Queen Mother of, of Belshazzar, and also had even been recognized by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we note that this statement had been made other times. In him, Daniel is the spirit of the holy God. So there was a recognition amongst people 
uh, kings and, and, and others that Daniel was a man that had God's spirit, Jehovah God's spirit. That's what really qualified him and made the difference. So there again, I think that's important to, to reemphasize or rehearse again. All right, let's uh, move on. Um, let's look at uh, let's look at number three and make sure we got all of those answers uh, on page 33 of your syllabus. Daniel was a man of great experience in government. Nebuchadnezzar had previously made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. So as I was stating about the experience earlier. So the word there for number A under three would be province. Then as we move to B, he was also chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. So not only was he uh, uh, made a ruler over the whole providence of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, but we see that he was over those that really were not of much benefit to the king that were supposed to have been the wise men and we see what takes place with previous um, things that took place in the Babylonian kingdom where they couldn't, uh, they could not give the king uh, the interpretation of the dream, couldn't give him the dream, and the times that Daniel was called on, and Daniel did. Okay, so he was made administrator. B would be over the wise men of Babylon. C, Belshazzar made him the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, that was the night of the destruction, and so we need to take that in consideration. Not only was Daniel appointed third highest ruler in the kingdom, but Daniel won the approval of God, as we already said, uh, of his experience, a record of distinguished service, a reputation of being ten times better than any of the other wise men. Now, I think what's interesting of that is the fact that if we remember from the very moment that they made the decree that they would not defile God in Daniel 1.8, the key verse to the whole book of Daniel for Daniel and the other Hebrew young men's life was that they would not defile, defile themselves and they took the test uh, of the uh, food um, and drink for 10 days. And then, of course, they were uh, reckoned and, and received as being greater, uh, even in appearance and their understanding and all the things, uh, the qualities being 10 times better than any of the other students of University of Babylon or uh, the other wise men. So, uh, again, um, as we move on, a reputation being 10 times better than the other wise men of Babylon. Knowledge should be the word there of the kingdom and help all qualifications for the job. As we move to page 34 of your syllabus, number four, Darius was quite pleased with Daniel's work and made plans to set him over the whole kingdom. His plan was to place Daniel second in command of the kingdom. As I stated earlier in the beginning of this uh, lesson, actually Daniel got a promotion that night above what Belshazzar 
And I state again, God is the one that exalts and God is the one that debases. All right, number five, in Daniel chapter six, verses four and five, opposition comes against Daniel being placed second in command over the entire kingdom by three governors, by three governors. They sought to find charges against him, but could not find no fault in his work so look to find against him concerning, or they looked how that they could find against him uh, concerning the law of his God. So they began to look at his spiritual life. Both Daniel's service and his character were flawless. So those answers there for number five should be um, that they looked to find against him concerning the law of his God. They wanted to use Daniel's spiritual status with Jehovah God against him, and his character were flawless. So the word should be law and character there in number five. <laughs> now, we stated earlier <laughs> this jealousy uh, is part of this. Um, I want to read verse four uh, and five. It says, Let's look at three. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes. Now that would have been those of the providence. So we see these three and then the 120. Because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and prince, princes sought to find occasion. Now, we understand it would have been the other two, and then the third part of that party would have been the princes, a prince of those providences, or those 120, sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Now, verse number five lines up with what we've already shared with the answers there for number five. Then said these men. So we can see the conspiracy here. We can see that there's not just one, but there's a group. We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, I think that's interesting because we see the plot begins. Now, our lesson right here... Uh, maybe doesn't lay this out the way that I want to lay it out. I want to give you something to think about because when you go to verse number five, I think there is some talk about the assembly or when they assemble. But, but there again, I want you to look at verse number six. It says, Then these presidents and prince assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Now, I want to go back to that word assemble or assembly or assembled there for in just a moment. All the presidents of the kingdom, this is verse 7, the governors and the prince, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. 
Now, uh, it goes on. It says, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. So it was written. And here's what I want us to see that I think that's important about that word assembled. Actually, it's used three times in this chapter. It's used in the sixth verse, the eleventh verse, and the fifteenth word, fifteenth uh, verse. We understand what the word assembled means. It's a group that gets together for a cause or a purpose. Uh, we even know, you know, the church is the assembled. Uh, but in the terminology here, we understand that it is for the purpose of being disruptive. When we take it back to an original root of the word, we find that it's talking about being disruptive or troubled or disorderly. Now, we even as United States citizens, our Constitution guarantees us the right of speech. It guarantees us the right to protest, but it is to be peacefully. And so, therefore, we have the right to assemble. We understand that at times assembles, assemblies of people, it's not orderly. It becomes riots. It becomes uh, breaking of laws, looting, destroying personal property, even the possibility of taking other people's lives, the, the tragedy of that. Well, what I want you to see here is actually, first of all, we know that this is disorderly. We know that it's troublesome, and we know that it was disruptive because they come in and they actually lie because it says in verse number seven, all the presidents of the kingdom. Well, where's Daniel? Daniel's one of the presidents <laughs> and the governors and the prince. So whoever's doing the talking has, uh, as, as has been said, had a forked tongue, was a liar. So there's where we can see that it's disorderly, it's destructive, because it's right out a lie the way that they're um, pushing this agenda. <clears throat> so not only that, we, we see that they make statement that Everyone, I mean, we have we have a, a quorum here. We have a, a more than a two-thirds majority. It looks like they've got a majority except Daniel because Daniel's not in the equation here, okay? Not only that, but they consulted for the king to establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now it goes on, and we must understand that the law, when a law in the Mede Persian was made, if it was written, it could not be changed. It had to be carried out. Of course, this was for a thirty-day period, but there again, they had a they had a mischievous undermining, destructive, disorderly uh, provocation of wanting to do that that was harm to Daniel, 
but also it was harm to the king. It was it was a harm to the to the actual um, kingdom. Okay, with that being said, we find in verse number eight that the king established the decree and signed the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not, which means it cannot be changed after it's put in writing. Therefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. What that means is he, for 30 days, placed this into order to where actually nobody could pray or make a petition unless it was to him, the king, and, and actually said uh, of any god or man for 30 days. So actually they were pretty much at this point saying, King, you're God. They were even bringing in for 30 days a false world religion, being that they're the world government. Folks, we're going to see these kind of things happen during the tribulation with the, with the Antichrist and the false prophet. There's things like this that's going to happen that's going to look for look like the assembly and the agreement and the quorum is going to be productive, but it's going to be destructive. It's going to be deceiving. It's going to be a lie. It's going to be a motivated lie. And so that's where we can see the parallel of what's taking place in this second uh, world government that's part of where we're going with the end times in the future, even with that of the tribulation period with the Antichrist. And what we see even in our government today and the world is, is, is really sadly remarkable of how this is being played out. All right, let's get back on course with uh, our uh, syllabus also. Let's look at number six, and we may repeat some things as we're making sure that we're getting our information and we have uh, studied correctly uh, with uh, things that we're answering in our syllabus. The administrators and satrap developed a plan to remove Daniel and sought an audience with King Darius. And we see on page 154 and 155 in your text information about that. Now, under six, we have uh, A, it says, was presented to presented in a lie to King Darius as they told the king that all governors, administrators, and satraps, counselors, and advisors had consulted together to establish a royal statute and make a firm degree. So the answers there for A should be governors and the satraps. Uh, so it covers everybody that, that had anything to do with any kind of uh, leadership in the kingdom, it looks like. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, B. Uh, B would declare that whoever petitioned any god or man for 30 days except King Darius shall be cast in the den of lions. So we see again the emphasis of how this is being played out of the importance that the king, really really they're doing the king an injustice here. Even in the authority that they are giving the king 
the undermining motive to trick, to deceive the king. As we move along, we find verse number, excuse me, we, we find under B of, of 6, um, would declare that whoever petitions any god that should be the answer or man for 30 days except King Darius shall be cast into the den of lions. Then C, and we have spoke of this, but it's worth making sure that our answer, and it's asked King Darius to establish a world religion for 30 days. For him to be the only one, and they're saying even God, a God could not, not even one of their gods, they are exalting him as God. So this gives us the understanding of the establishment of a world religion for 30 days. Try it, you might like it. Listen, I, I can see something here. That's what's going to take place in the tribulation with the false prophet, the Antichrist. They're going to they're going to do what they do, and it's going to look good, and the Jews are going to sign the pact, and it's going to all look good, and then the real truth is going to be exposed. All right, let's move on. In point number D, we find further ask King Darius to issue the decree and to put it in writing. By putting it into writing, the decree could not be changed even by the king. Even by the king. Okay, with that being said, the word changed is there, is, is our answer. Then we have subpoint one and two. Let's look at one under D on page 34. The belief was that the king was a god and to change the law meant that he had made a mistake. Gods do not make mistakes. So we see how this is in one aspect a safeguard, but yet we see it's a belittlement of who Darius was and what they're getting him to do. All right, number two, most religions believe that their gods are infallible and changeless. As the gods are infallible and changeless, the decrees are also infallible and changeless. Now, I want to address this for a moment. I understand the point of number two, but here's something we must understand how a lot of our false cults and religions clarify what they do here because there's polytheism, there's that of many gods. So therefore that God becomes infallible because that's what the God he is of or she is of, uh, where we have one God. Yes, he is in three personalities, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Yes, we do have at least 365 characteristic names that apply to God, but this is not 365 gods, uh, which, which really just describes his character. And let me just explain that like this. As who I am, I, first of all, am a male. I am a husband. 
I am a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a great-grandfather, uh, I'm a minister of the gospel, uh, I'm educated with, with uh, degrees. Um, I, I have all these different hats or titles, but one of those alone does not describe who I am fully, but they all together describe and give characteristic of who I am. So, therefore, let me give you this analogy to think about. With whomever you associate with, more than likely, wherever they see you or what aspect of life, unless you're with them, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they probably know you by pretty much a particular character or title than knowing everything about you. Uh, when I was in the school system, I was in transportation, I was Mr. Harry, the bus driver. Unless I told someone, they didn't know that I was pastoring a church. They didn't know that I was a grandfather. So, so I just made that analogy for you to think about. Okay, number seven. King Darius signed the decree that was brought before him. A would be the answer we'll give. The king was deceived. So they plotted to deceive the king deliberately by the decree as he trusted his advisors and satraps. B, some countries today prohibit the worship of any gods except their own with the penalty of trial, torture, and death being the penalty. Now, we find that in the world today, and uh, sadly, we find that definitely among that of Muslim countries, sadly. And uh, we won't go into all that. But there again, if we're not careful, even in the Western Hemisphere and even in the United States, if we're not careful, we, we bring a dissension, even in America, in Christianity, if we're not careful with denominations and movements. And we need to be careful with that. It may not be to the point of torture and death, but it may cause, and I believe it does, it causes a shame and reproach to the Lord Jesus Christ. So keep that in mind also. Number eight, Daniel learned of the decree only once it was in effect. He responded by, and there's uh, here's how he responded. First of all, A, continuing his daily habit of prayer three times a day before an open window. Now, let's just get something straight. Daniel didn't start praying because he found out this law. Daniel continued to do what he always does. And see, that's the difference. We, at times, are going to have to make up our mind we're going to stay the course of what the course is proper and right, no matter what the cost or the expense. Now, uh, B goes on and it says, praying and thanking God each time as he faced the city of Jerusalem as was his daily custom. 
Now, what I understand or what I visualize is Daniel at whatever pointed times that he prayed three times a day and more than likely, like the psalmist says, evening, morning, and at noon. Um, so I, I, I see him praying these three times a day. He, he did not get out of uh, schedule. He went and done what he always done. Uh, he didn't just start opening the window. He'd been opening the window. He didn't just all of a sudden turn toward Jerusalem because he was homesick for Jerusalem, and he may have been. But that was what he always done. And even the fact that he was praying and looking toward what he knew would be Jerusalem, it was in reference, I believe, to Psalms where it talks about um, the city of God in the sides of the north, that great inhabitation. And he was looking to where he knew the presence of God was to reside. And we know that God resides in the north side. We, we realize that we realize that God is upon his throne. And he realized that there was a place there, even though it may have been in ruins, where the presence of God had abode. And that was the temple. So with that being in mind, I wanted to bring that out. Okay, <laughs> um, we were we were looking at uh, B of number eight, and the answer should be that he uh, faced toward the city of Jerusalem, as was his daily custom, what he had been doing and continued to do. Okay, number nine. Um, in uh, Daniel chapter 6, verses 11 through 14, it reveals that these same men, two administrators and 120 satraps who obtained the decree observed Daniel in prayer. So um, the way the syllabus reads, but we do know that somebody was Somebody already was aware. They were aware that Daniel was doing this. Somebody was observing to know that he was continuing to do it. So we can see um, that they take that upon themselves to do that. And then A, so it would have been the 120 satraps. Uh, they would have they would have uh, built their case. Okay, he, he's continuing to do it. All right, then A, under 9, they went before the king asking if the king had not decreed that no one was to petition for 30 days to any god except Daniel. And so they ask it as a question. Uh, so the word would be was to petition. The word petition there for A. And then under 9, let's look at B. Then they revealed that Daniel had made his petition three times a day to his God despite the decree. So here they're making Daniel to look as, well, let's just say it, an outlaw. One that has not been reverenced to the king. One that has went against what the decree of the written law of the Mede-Persians now was for 30 days. Doesn't necessarily give us what day this was. But I'm sure they didn't waste much time uh, if it was the first day or if it was a couple days. But they didn't waste much time in, in going to the king to uh, let uh, the charge be made. 
Okay, let's look at um, C under 9. King Darius was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on to deliver, to deliver is the word, deliver him, laboring till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Now, this is interesting because immediately the king, it comes on. I mean, the light comes on what is taking place. He realizes this deception that's took place, and we see that he's very disappointed. He's very disappointed even in his own decision with this. And I can only imagine the king is doing everything within his power. He may have called his lawyers. He may have called whomever. He began to uh, rehearse what, what kind of guidelines, what kind of laws, what kind of... Um, uh, I hate to say it, loophole do I have here? And I believe that he went to the greatest uh, possibility of attempting to see what could be done uh, for Daniel, um, even going down to the sun to deliver Daniel that day. Then we see number 10, Daniel 6.16, tells of, Dan of King Darius's faith in the God of Daniel with these words. Now, even in the midst of the king can't find a decree that will help him with the decree that he has signed, he knew he had confidence and he speaks in reference to that of Daniel's God. And this is what said, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. I want you to think about that. Uh, a, 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 a Gentile king, one that God had allowed to be on the throne for the future and the, uh, the progression of, of, of the Jewish people at the end of this 70-year Babylonian captivity uh, that's taking place. We see that he acknowledges something through the man of God, Daniel, and makes this proclamation, which is prophetic. Your God, whom you serve, he will deliver you. The king says three things. The first one may not be the most appropriate. He identifies it being Daniel's king. But second of all, he sees not only the fact that Daniel has been an upright man, and he's been faithful to the king, but he realized that Daniel has even been faithful to serve his God, that the king has referenced Daniel's God. And then third, here's where the king speaks with confidence. He speaks prophetically. He will deliver you. Now, folks, that's powerful. That is great. That's wonderful. A. The king, under number 10, A.8, the king had no choice in no choice in following through on the law. He, he complied with the law just as Daniel did. He went with Daniel to the lion's den. What that's saying there is that actually Darius went all the way to that cave. He went there and we see that he goes that far with Daniel, and Daniel is cast in to that, um, that den of lions. Now, let's look at B. 
The king had to go further. The king sealed the mouth of the lion's den with his own signet ring and the signet of his lords. The stone was not to be moved during the night. Now, what this is, is a seal. It would have been like wax that they would have placed around the stone and it would have proved or showed that nobody had tampered or attempted to get Daniel out or, or had re-entered. Now, there's a couple examples that I want to give. Um, and there is an explanation here in C that I think, I think I'll go ahead and bring C out first. When Jesus was crucified, his body was placed in a tomb with a stone closing the entrance and the stone was sealed. If you remember, they went and they were questioning the fact of, of the possibility, could his body be stolen? And we understand Pilate approved not only for soldiers to be placed there, but also uh, that there would be some kind of seal. And of course, I'm going to tell you, the Holy Spirit will break any seal and the Holy Spirit can uh, uh, place a seal. And you, you can follow up on that if you want to. I won't take the time to, to explain, expand, explain on that. But I will tell you, the Holy Spirit can break any seal and the Holy Spirit can seal whatever needs to be sealed. Okay, so what we find here is a couple examples that I want to give you is the kings in that time would have had a ring and of course they could take and it would have... Uh, it would have an insignia on it. It might have a like a what we might call a logo, or it could be the crescent, uh, the family crescent, the kingdom crescent, and it would be uh, taken and and placed into that wax. And so it, it's like uh, not only they've sealed the stone with that wax to where they would know if it had been broken, but also it gave the uh, it gives the authenticity that the king has done this. The king has sealed this. And here's another thing with what's taking place. We see that not only he, but also in the signet of his Lord. So apparently some of these of the other two king, excuse me, the other two presidents possibly, or some of these other 120, uh, they did the same thing. And, uh, so that was just a, 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 the effect of approval, even though the king didn't approve of this, but yet he had to carry out the law, but yet we can see the endorsement. Now, the other example that I want to give you is that I'm a notary, and or a notary public, a notary public, and that does not make a document more legal. What it does, it says that these parties have came and they have been acknowledged or they have made a affirmation that they are who they are and they they understand what they're doing and everything's in order and they are signing in front of the notary and the notary is acknowledging that they are who they are and that they did come before and and the notary serves as a witness in that aspect okay but we place our seal we place our official notary seal that we're commissioned by what state we live in and me, uh, the state of North Carolina. Now, I had an experience just a few days ago. I've got a granddaughter, and she's attempting to finish uh, some uh, high school education and excel it, and then work toward getting on into college. 
Okay, um, I had to help with some paperwork that was needing to be expedited for her this week as uh, of this class I'm teaching. And actually in the paperwork, there was one document that had to be somewhat private, not just her transcripts from any previous schooling, but it was something else, and I won't go into the, the procedure of the document, but that document, and I had to fill that document out because we had done some homeschooling um, in the past with a couple of our grandchildren, and with that being said, we had to take care of that particular document. Well, what they required was for that document to be placed in an envelope, sealed, and sent by mail to the college or to the school. And with that being said, the other option was it could be brought to the school by the student and not mailed, but here was the protocol. It had to be in a sealed envelope, and once that envelope was sealed, I personally had to take and sign over the back of that envelope, the size of a letter envelope, and I had to sign my name across it, and the proof was that anybody would attempt to open that, it would break the seal, it would break the legibility of my signature. That it, that it actually was not corresponding with the envelope being closed. So here we find the importance of these things that are being mentioned here. It was not what the king wanted, but he had to carry it out because of the official and the authority of that particular decree that had been made. And then, of course, there definitely were some of those that had their signet with that that were recognized as either lords or possibly a couple of those other presidents or some of the 120, they also endorsed the fact of carrying out this law even to the point of carrying out the punishment. So with that being said, I believe, uh, let me make sure, we've got just a few more, yes, we've got just a few more uh things that we need to deal with on page uh, 36 of our syllabus, and then we'll do our wrap-up, and we'll look at our five questions for this particular lesson. Now, on page 36 of your syllabus, we're dealing with number 11. It says, Daniel 6:18 reveals that during the night, the king fasted. So that means he refrained from eating any food, and I'll be honest with you, I really believe that he not only refrained from food, but I believe that he refrained from rest. He refrained from sleep. Um, and we see that he didn't even attempt to bring any comfort to himself, possibly with, and it was without music and without sleep as he waited for the morning. Now, I don't know about you, um, but there has been some times that there has been days that have flown by. There has been days that seemed like they were going to never end. And there has been nights that never seemed they were going to end. They were so long. They were so long. And I can only imagine that this king, this was one of the longest nights of his life, just anticipating uh, 
and and then I believe also standing in what he had stated. Now I'm going to make a statement here that I want you to think about. The fact that the king signed that decree and agreed with it, whether he ever spoke that decree, what he said that day before they took Daniel and threw him in the den of lions, your God shall uh, save you. He will deliver you. That was a greater proclamation than what the king had been deceived to do. Okay, let's look at point number A under 11. The king rose up early and went in haste to the den of lions. He called out. He didn't call for his servants. He didn't call for somebody to get the, uh, the scaffold or, or uh, tool or whatever needs to be to break that wax. And it might have even been where they could have looked down. I don't know uh, for sure. But, but anyway, uh, uh, there was a seal and it was closed. And it could have been they could look down after they actually opened the, uh, the den. But the king rose and he hasted to the den of lions. I, I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, there's been times I've got up or, or got up and I had to take it a little slow, being even tired if I wasn't sleeping. But I believe this king, he had at least a little skip in his walk because he was wanting to get to that den. And it says the king, this is A, rose early and went in haste to the den of lions. He called out Daniel. He called Daniel's name. And he didn't stop there. Servant of the living God. Has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lion? Or from the lions? And of course, we know that Daniel responded. This would be B. Uh, B. Daniel's response was, King, O king, live forever. So he speaks honorably to the king. And then, so live forever would be what needs to be there under B. Then C, Daniel continued as found in Daniel 6.22. And this is what Daniel proclaims. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. And so they have not hurt me because I was found innocent. Listen, Daniel may not have been considered innocent by those 120 and those other two prints. And the law that was placed that was in justice may have not looked like it made Daniel innocent. But Daniel says, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Daniel makes a profound statement here. He says, I have been faithful. I am innocent before God. And king, I have been innocent, and I have not done you any wrong. That, that's, that's profound, folks, that Daniel could speak that to the king. Then number 12 King Darius was exceedingly glad to find Daniel unharmed. And this is when the table turns. Let's look at A. He commanded that Daniel should be taken out of the den. No injury was found on him. There wasn't one claw. There wasn't one tooth. 
Matter of fact, I've heard it said, and you probably have too, it would not surprise me that Daniel slept like a baby that night, and one of those lines just allowed him to lay his head on him, and he was his pillow for the for the night. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't even be shocked that that line didn't place his uh, place his leg and Paul over uh, over Daniel and covered him not only as a a a, a covering to for warmth, but that of of protection from any of the other lines if they were aggressive. And I don't believe any of them were aggressive because the angel of the Lord came and the angel of the Lord took, he took their their, their appetite away for the night. And uh, so they found no injury on him. They found no scratches. They found no teeth marks. They found nothing. Then B, many believe Daniel's deliverance, and the word should be foreshadows the deliverance of the Jews from the Antichrist during the tribulation period. So there's a parallel um, that can be considered there. It foreshadows what's going to take place. Because we do know that there will be the 144,000 sealed. There will be others possibly that will be able to get to Petra um, even during that particular period of time on earth when God will be dealing with his people again uh, during Jacob's trouble, called the um, called the uh, tribulation also. All right, let's look at C under number twelve. King Darius next command that the men who accused Daniel were to be thrown into the lion's den among along with their wives and their children. Now, with this being said, there's some things that we could uh, possibly consider here. Uh, we see that the king turns the table. He sees the injustice. He see who, sees who has betrayed him. And we understand the king gives a judgment that had to be carried out because he makes a decree. Somebody says, well, what about the other? Well, it had already been carried out. It had already been carried out. Even the punishment had been, been carried out. It doesn't even say the king changed the decree or attempted to change the decree if there was two days left of that 30 days or if there was 29 and a half days or 29 days left. But he made another decree and it had no influence of trying to override and change that one. But the decree was that these that had done this injustice would be cast into the den. Of lines and it was their wives even and their children so their family suffered and actually this king could do that because they had been untruthful they were liars they were unjust so we can see the judgment that takes place there now I think what might be interesting is how many people actually perished in that den of lions um, because we see um, there may not be an exact amount other than it states what it states about um, these individuals that would have been even the wives and the children, but it says those that accused Daniel. 
So keep that in mind. God actually takes care of his servant in the den, and then we see where the king decrees the judgment that's going to take place upon uh, these that have been unjust to uh, Daniel. And let's look at verse number 24 for just a moment in reference to what we're talking about. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Now, this is what I foresee. We don't necessarily know how many perished that day. We don't know how long it took because it sounds as if um, they came at the bottom of the den. So they may have been constantly casting it. It could have been just the two presidents. It could have been all 120. Uh, and, and if that was, that was a massive day. That was a massive day. We, we may see pictures, and I think even in our textbook, there's a picture that's been uh, etched uh, or sketched uh, that shows um, some lions, and it looks like maybe a den. Um, I think a lot of pictures that I've seen, we take, well, there was three or four lions there. We, we don't know. We don't know how many lions were there. We don't know how many days these lions had not ate, which even makes that a greater miraculous because of Daniel uh, not being devoured. So with that being said, uh, but we do know that those that have been the uh, instigators, those that it assembled, uh, we understand that there was some responsibility that was taking place by the decree that the king makes here. And the sad part about it, even their wives and their children suffered uh, because of the bad and unruly um, decision, uh, an unjust decision that was made. Number 13, Daniel then issued another decree, or excuse me, Darius then issued another decree as seen in Daniel 6.26, where Everyone was required to tremble and fear the God of Daniel for several reasons. And we see that the king is given this. King Darius, he declares that he is the living God. That's the reason that they were to, um, they were required to tremble and fear the God of Daniel. Now think about that. The king in this degree, he says, your reverence ought to be that it makes you quiver. It makes you tremble. Look at the power of God. Look what God has done even to deliver Daniel. So first of all, he says, A would be he is the living God. B, he is steadfast forever. C, his kingdom will not be destroyed. Now, that's speaking right there. Daniel says, king live forever. And the king saying that God's kingdom will be established forever. It'll be steadfast. That it'll not be destroyed. All right, then D, his dominion will endure to the end. So this king makes a decree that God is living. God is steadfast because he's seen what God done for um, Daniel. 
He, he sees that God's kingdom will not be destroyed, and he sees that it will endure forever. Then 14, all should fear and reverence Daniel in Daniel's God because, and we can see that it's declaring, because God delivers, God rescues, and God performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And then we'll close with our syllabus uh, points here with number 15 in Daniel 6, 28. So this Daniel prospered. This was not the end of his, his, his ordeal of, of reigning with the king. So this Daniel prospered in the reign. So the word prospered should be there of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So keep that in mind, if and hopefully you've received all these answers. If not, hopefully, or you've you found them in your reading, and we followed up on them with our study today. Now, on page 170 in your textbook, I want you to see where it talks about the wrap-up. Now, we've actually talked about these things, but we just want to rehearse them in your hearing so it'll make you think about what we have observed and talked about today. First of all, the first bullet point, it says, After capturing, capturing Babylon, Darius made special political appointments. One of them was Daniel, who excelled to where the king planned to promote him over everyone else. And we can find those passages of scripture information in Daniel 6, 1 through 3. Then the second bullet point, and we've discussed this, Daniel's honesty and integrity worried the administrators and satraps. They could not find any flaws in his character or the way he did his job. So they devised a plan to use his religion against him. They proposed an unjust law that they knew that Daniel would not obey. Then they got the king to make it official. Daniel 6, 4 through 9. Now, I want to interject something that I may have not brought out as we were teaching a few moments ago in reference to some things that are under the second point. We understand that uh, they were concerned about Daniel's honesty and his integrity. Uh, the syllabus says here that it worried the administrators and the uh, satraps. Now, one of the reasons I think that is because maybe... Uh, even these that were supposed to be overseeing and making sure that uh, there wasn't corruption in the government. Maybe they were covering and patting their pockets and uh, uh, doing their books wrong. And they, they uh, I believe there was definitely a spirit of jealousy, but they were concerned about uh, uh, the possibilities of being found out themselves. Uh, Excuse me, it's, but, but we do see they were found out because they actually practiced their injustice with such a law to go to the king. All right, let's go to the third bullet point. The administrators and satraps caught Daniel breaking the new law by praying to God instead of Darius. Then turned Daniel over to the king and had him thrown into the den of lions. But God protected Daniel he survived and was released. 
We find that in verses 10 through 23 of the sixth chapter. The administrators and satraps, along with their wives and children, were given the same treatment they sought for Daniel. They were killed by the lions. That's verse 24. So we see the, the, the horror of this, this particular injustice that takes place. Then the last bullet point, the king issued a decree honoring Daniel's God. You know what's beautiful here is that all through these different kings and the faithfulness of Daniel, God continued to exalt and place Daniel where God could use him to the utmost. But here we see again a king that must give honor where honors do. The king issued a decree honoring Daniel's God. Didn't say honoring Daniel. Honoring Daniel's God. Daniel prospered during the remainder of Darius' reign and through the reign of King Cyrus. Now, it didn't say that he didn't prosper. It did. It didn't say that he wasn't promoted and, and recognized. But the important thing here is through all this that takes place, what the king sees, the qualifications of Daniel, is that to glorify God. Even in the injustice of these other rulers, God is to be glorified. And then even through Daniel being cast into the den of lions and the very proclamation of the king that's greater than the injustice, of that law that was placed, that Daniel's God would deliver him. That was the confidence and the faith and the hope that he went to his chambers or wherever he stayed that night fasting from food and sleep and even trying to find any music that might bring um, comfort. We see that God is lifted and exalted in all of this. Let's look at our study questions before we <clears throat> close today. Let's look at them. There are five, and I want to remind you that they're to be typeset, and the answers are to be typeset. And some of our questions sometimes have kind of like a dual uh, or more uh, answer. Now, let me reemphasize, you should know the answers from what you've read in the textbook, and the answers are in the textbook and through some of the study of the syllabus. All right, number one, why did the administrators and the satraps object to Daniel being in charge? Now, I'm not going to answer these. I'm just referencing them with you. What is wrong with having a one-world religion? Now, we could write, we could write a five-page paper. Somebody said, did you just ask us for a five-page paper? No, I'm not asking you or five-page paper, but what is wrong with having a one-world religion? So take that in consideration and answer that. And then number three, which is more important, the laws of man or the laws of God? Give that some real sincere thought. Number four, why was Daniel delivered from the lions? Why was Daniel delivered from the lions? <clears throat> and number five, was Daniel's deliverance a miracle? 
you still believe in miracles today? I do. Hopefully you're one. I know I am. Again, it's been a pleasure to teach today. I pray that something has been said through these uh, teachings. Uh, and if you've not followed the other uh, studies before this one, please do so. And uh, we'll uh, be coming back with more of our teaching on the book of Daniel very soon. God bless and have a wonderful day.